Welcome to the Vanguard Bible Church Podcast. Today's guest speaker is Pastor Brian Jones, and the sermon is entitled, How to Talk So That God Will Listen. For more information about Vanguard Bible Church, please visit our website at www.vanguardbible.org or come worship with us on Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. at Freedom Middle School in Northwest Bakersfield. We hope you enjoy today's message. Well, thank you. It is so exciting and great for me to um, be with you. Our church has been praying for your church, and um, we were so happy when Pastor Kerry became part of our network, and we were able to um, watch and give some, some help to get this church going. And so um, to kind of be here in person and see what the Lord is doing here is just really exciting for me. And so thank you, Pastor Kerry, for the opportunity to, uh, to visit this morning and to bring the word to you. Would you turn in your Bibles, please, to Luke chapter 11? Luke chapter 11. My message will be from verses 1 through 13. And I'm going to read that passage uh, with you in a moment. Luke chapter 11, and we're going to read verses 1 through 13. Luke chapter 11, verse 1 says, Now Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. And forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, which of you has a friend? Will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask. And it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And the one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, to the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? This is God's Word. I grew up in Michigan, where I also live now, and I went to a very small Christian high school, a very conservative Christian high school. And so, because we were a very conservative Christian high school, we didn't have any dances 
But there was one social event every year where dates were allowed or involved, and that was the junior-senior banquet. When I was a sophomore in high school, I was wondering if I would get invited to that banquet because as a sophomore, it's a junior-senior banquet. The only way to get in is if a junior or senior asks you to be their date. And I'd been talking to this girl who was a junior, and we were friends, and we hung out together and even went on a date once together. And so I was wondering if she might ask me to this banquet. And one day after school, I was sitting um, on, the main, in a, on a bench in the main floor. My mom worked at the school. She was the secretary. And so I was waiting for her to finish up her work so we could go home. And so I was sitting there waiting. And a different girl, not the one that I was kind of friends with who was a junior, but another girl who was a senior in high school, came over, and she was someone that I'd known for a long time. I considered a friend. We went to the same church in addition to going to school together. And so she came over and said to me, she said, hey, who are you going to the junior-senior banquet with? Do you have a date? Has anyone asked you? And I thought she was making conversation, and so I just said, well, you know, no, I don't have a date, but there's this girl, you know, you know who's a junior who I've gone out with, and we're friends, and I'm wondering if she might ask me. I hope she does, but, but at this point, she hasn't. And so this other girl who was a senior just kind of said, okay, well, that's nice, and then she faded off you know, into, um, the, into the hallway. Her mother was friends with my mother, and I clearly, honestly, had no idea until my mom, until I found out how, my, how mad my mom was at me, that this girl who was a senior was trying to ask me to the banquet. All right, I had no idea. I just thought she was making conversation, and my mom was so mad at me that I deflected her attempt to ask me to the banquet by talking about another girl. But honestly, I had no idea that that was her intention. And the reason why is she didn't ask me directly. She didn't ask me boldly. And maybe I should have seen it coming. I'm not one who's really clued into the subtleties of human communication, maybe somebody who's a little better at uh, interpersonal things would have seen and understood what was going on. And I don't fault her either because I've been on the other side of that equation. I know how hard it is to ask somebody out. And so I don't fault her for what she did. All I'm saying is I didn't really have the opportunity to give her a yes answer to the question because I didn't know there was a question. And the truth of the matter is there are many situations like this where we fail to ask for things boldly, where our question doesn't come with an exclamation point, where we hint around at what we want instead of just coming out and stating directly. And you and I could offer many examples. If I had like a whiteboard up here and ask you for examples of situations in life where people do not get what they want because they don't ask boldly, we could come up with quite a long list, I'm sure. But let me just give you a few examples that came to my mind from everyday life. We could offer many everyday examples, such as asking someone on a date. There are some people who will never go on a date because they can never get up the courage to directly and boldly ask somebody out. Or asking for a discount or free sample. I'm the kind of person who, I don't like asking for things. And so there might be opportunities out there to pay less for something or get a free sample of something that I'll never get because I don't like to ask for them. How about asking for a refund when you get bad service or a defective product? I'm the kind of person who, I don't like to bother the waitress or the waiter if, the, if my meal isn't just right, so I'll just eat it and not worry about it. But 
The truth of the matter is, restaurants want to please you. And so a lot of times, if you tell them, hey, I'm not happy with this, even if it's exactly what you ordered, if you ask boldly, you can get something better. Or sometimes someone makes a mistake. And because we don't want to ask boldly for it to be corrected, we just have to endure the fact that a mistake was made and whatever consequences there are for that. And so there are many situations in life where people do not ask for what they want boldly. And we could offer many everyday examples. But I think there are probably two basic reasons, and they're related reasons, why people don't ask boldly. We do not ask boldly for things for two basic but related reasons. And these two reasons are related by fear. Fear is what keeps us, at least in my life, from asking boldly for things that I want. And this fear has two aspects to it. First of all is the fear of rejection. That's what makes it hard to ask somebody on a date. Because if they flat out turn you down, you start to wonder, is it something about me that's unattractive? And so the fear of rejection is one of the things that keeps us from asking boldly for things that we might want. The other one, the other reason that we don't ask boldly for things is that we fear disapproval. We don't ask boldly because we fear looking bad in front of others. You know that glare that people give you when you've inconvenienced them, when they think you're asking for something that you don't really have the right to ask for. I remember once I was on a plane and I had successfully moved my seat from the middle seat to the aisle where I like to sit. And I was waiting with some amount of um, anxiety about who would be seated next to me in that middle seat because I wasn't traveling with my family and so I knew I'd be sitting next to a stranger. And I'm always concerned that I'll be sitting next to a stranger who takes up more of the seat than maybe they should or they want the armrest or whatever. And so I was wondering and, and hoping it wouldn't be someone who would be uncomfortable to sit next to for the entirety of the flight. And I can't tell you how relieved I was when a very thin woman came walking down the aisle and said, that's my seat, and pointed next to me. And I thought, yes, this should be a comfortable flight. But then she asked me to trade seats with her. All right, After I had worked to get on the aisle, this very small woman, the perfect person to sit in the middle seat between two guys, wanted to sit on the aisle, and she wanted me to sit next to the other guy and scrunch into that little seat. This is how I looked at her, probably, for the rest of the flight. But she had the courage to ask boldly. She was never going to see me again. So who cares if I disapproved of her for the entirety of that flight? I admire her for asking boldly, even though I didn't like it in the moment. She did not have that fear of looking bad in front of other people. But that's often what keeps us from asking boldly for things that we want. Now, Jesus is going to talk to us about prayer, and he's going to talk about boldness in prayer. But before I talk about that and take us to our passage for this morning, I want to define for you what I mean when I say when I, when I talk about asking boldly, asking boldly for something doesn't mean being a jerk about it. All right? Asking boldly doesn't mean being overly assertive. It doesn't mean taking something that you want with force. When I talk about asking boldly, all I mean is being direct and specific about what you want and directly asking the other person to give it to you. Asking boldly is contrasted by the way I tend to ask for things, which is by hinting, well, it sure would be nice if this were 10% less. 
okay? That's not asking boldly. That's a hint. It sure would be nice if this could happen or that could happen. This, these are not ways that we ask boldly. When we ask boldly, we tell people exactly what we want, and we ask them directly to give it to us in a yes or no way. And as I said, there are many situations in life where we don't get what we want because we fail to ask boldly. But Jesus said in this passage, the one thing we should always ask boldly is in prayer. Prayer is one situation where we should always ask boldly. Prayer is one situation where we should always ask boldly. And in the middle of the text that I read this morning, Jesus gave a story about asking for things boldly. And that's where I want to start our look at the text this morning. So in verse 5, Jesus begins to talk to his people, his listeners, about a situation that any one of them could relate to. Verse 5 says this, And he said to them, Which of you has a friend? And the friend he has in mind here is someone who lives very close by, maybe just one farm over or one farm across the road. And so this is someone who lives close by, but it's someone that you have more than just a neighborly relationship with. It's the kind of person you might ne sit next to in the synagogue on Saturday, and that you might have over for a meal during the week. It's the kind of person who might date your daughter or vice versa. It's someone that you have a personal relationship with. And so Jesus says, which of you has a friend and will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't like to ask for anything from my friends or neighbors, but at midnight is the worst time to ask them for something, right? Awaking somebody out of their sleep and asking them for the favor is the worst time to do it. And so as Jesus talks about this and says, how many of you would go to a neighbor at midnight and ask for three loaves of bread? Most of the people listening are going, not me, until Jesus explains the situation in verse 6. And here's the situation. He says, For a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. Now again, remember the scene in which Jesus lived. Some of the larger cities like Jerusalem would have boarding houses where people could rent a room for the night. But most of the people in Israel lived in small villages that would never be able to support that kind of a business. And so anyone who traveled would travel, and, th and there was a lot of traveling in Israel. People went back and forth to Jerusalem from the temple, and so there was a lot of traveling that went on. And most of that traveling was done by foot. And often the journey across Israel would take days to accomplish, especially if you had small children with you or an animal you were bringing to sacrifice. And so you would need a place to sleep for the night, and since there are no hotels in most of these cities that you go to, you have to find somebody that you know and ask them to put you up for the night. Now, a lot of times, people traveled at night. There were, there were pros and cons about traveling during the day or traveling at night. If you traveled during the day, you were less likely to be robbed by someone who was looking for someone to rob. The Good Samaritan uh, encountered a man who experienced that, and so traveling by day was safer in a sense. But it meant dealing with the beating sun. Remember, Israel is in the desert, and so traveling by day would be an unpleasant thing to do. And so many people took the risk of traveling at night because it was cooler and more comfortable to walk. And so it wouldn't be that unusual for someone to, to knock at a door 
in the middle of the night because a lot of people did their traveling at night. And so, of course, you're going to arrive at your friend's house late at night after people had gone to bed, and you can't send a message ahead of you telling, you that, telling them that you're coming. And so it is a surprise. But it was customary in their world that if someone came to you, you would put them up for the night. You would give them a place to sleep. And it was also customary to provide them with something to eat. And so here you are, you're in your home. You're already in bed for the night, and all of a sudden there's a knock at the door. And someone you haven't seen in a year, a distant relative or a friend that you met in some context who moved away is coming through and they're looking for a place to sleep for the night. And common courtesy would say, because you've done this too if you're if you're in this situation, you've stayed at people's house. You've come to them in the middle of the night. And so common courtesy is you would put these people up, you'd give them a place to sleep, and you'd offer them some food. But the people in the story that Jesus is telling ate all the food for that day. They don't have any leftovers. Remember, bread was prepared every day. And so they had nothing to put before their people. This is a very socially embarrassing situation, potentially, because society expected you to show hospitality to travelers. And so the people in the story say, Come out right on in, you know, make yourself comfortable, I'll be right back. And they go across the road to the farm next door to their friend's house. They knock on his door in order to try to get a few loaves of bread to give their guests. Look at verse 7. And he will answer from within, do not bother me. So there's no friend. That the, 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 the person who asked prefaced what he said with the words, friend. But the response from inside the door doesn't say, friend, no, I can't do that. There's an abrupt response. Why? Because that's how most of us respond when we are awakened in the middle of the night. It's, we're, we don't have our, uh, our, you know, we don't have our um, best foot forward, socially speaking. And so we don't necessarily uh, speak with the same kind of kindness we would in a normal situation. But verse 7 goes on and says, he will answer from within, do not bother me. And then he goes through a list of reasons why he can't be bothered. The door is now shut in these homes. You would close a door and then you would put a bar across it. A bar that was held by um, metal brackets. And so removing that bar would have been noisy. Okay? But he goes on and continues in verse 8 and says, or verse 7, and says, The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. Most of these homes had one room. And everybody slept on the floor, on mats. And because it could get cold at night, they would huddle together as families to provide body heat with one another. And because many of these homes didn't have, of course, they didn't have light sources and a lot of them didn't have windows, it was dark in there and you would be worried about stepping on your infant or one of your children if you were trying to make your way to the door. And if you've had an infant, you know how hard it is to get them back to sleep if they are awakened in the middle of the night. And so the one who's being asked for this is giving all these good reasons why he can't help out. He says again in verse 7, The door is now shut. My children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. But this guy has a lot of social pressure on him too. Because not only will the friend look bad if he doesn't offer his traveling friend some food, but the whole village looks bad. And he could go back to his village and say, don't stay over there in Nazareth or wherever because the people there are just not, they just don't have very good sense of hospitality. And so the guy that's in the house who doesn't want to get up, he's feeling the social pressure too. He's been there. He's traveled in the middle of the night. He knows what this is like. 
And then verse 8 says this. Jesus, concluding the story, says this. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything, because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence. Another translation has the word, his audacious boldness, which is a good, that's a good way of taking this word. Because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. What is Jesus saying here? He's saying that the way to get a request like this answered is to lean on being bold, to lean on not giving up when you don't get the answer you want. Jesus says it's not your friendship that's going to get you the loaves of bread that you need in that situation. It's going to be the fact that you are not going to go away until you get what you want. You fear looking worse in front of your traveling friend than you do in front of your friend who should understand the difficult situation that you're in. And so this is how Jesus talks to us about prayer. And he tells us in this parable that we are capable of asking with much greater boldness than we realize. Again, I'm not the kind of person who likes to ask people for things. I don't like people, I don't want it, I don't like it when people, when I'm inconveniencing someone. And perhaps many of the people who heard Jesus tell this story felt the same way. And yet Jesus framed this story. He told the story in just this way to illustrate to them and to us that there are situations in life where we're bolder than we would normally be. And he tells us that we are capable of asking with greater boldness than we realize. But when are we capable of this boldness? One is when we realize our desperate condition. The person asking for the loaves of bread in the middle of the night is in a tough, tough spot. He has a choice between looking bad in front of his neighbor, but it's a neighbor who should understand the situation, and when he wakes up and gets a little coffee in him in the morning, he won't look bad at his neighbor about it. So that's one person he risks offending, but he also risks offending his friend that traveled in the middle of the night, who might not put him up the next time around. And so this guy's caught in a tough spot, but he realizes that he's in a desperate need, and if he's going to save his reputation and save his village's reputation... He better come up with some food for his traveling friend. And so it was his desperate need that gave him the boldness in this moment. Verses 7 and 8 tell us that boldness moves people to do what they don't want to do. All right, Boldness and a, and a desperate need is what motivates people to do things that they otherwise would not ordinarily do. And if you've ever been in a situation where you were out of gas and had forgotten your wallet and had to walk up to another driver at the gas station and ask, or, or a friend and ask for 20 bucks to help you out. You know what this is like. Most of us would never want to do that in any situation. And yet, if it's between that and running out of gas, a desperate situation puts us in places where we're willing to do things that we don't ordinarily want to do. Now, in verses 9 and 10, Jesus takes this story about the, our capability for boldness, and he applies it to prayer. And he tells us that boldness is actually what God wants from us in our praying. Look at verse 9, please. Jesus says, And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, and the one to whom, and to the one who knocks, it will be opened. In this section, Jesus is telling us 
that just as there are situations in life that are so desperate that they move us to ask with boldness that we don't normally have, that we should take that boldness and transfer it to our prayer life. That God actually wants boldness. And he's telling us, he's not telling us here, God really doesn't want to answer your prayer, but if you wear him down and keep after him and pester him enough, you might get what you want. No, Jesus is saying, listen, you're capable of boldness when you're in a desperate need. If you understand that God wants you to be bold, that'll give you greater confidence when you come to him in prayer and ask him for something in your prayer life. And so that's the point of this story, is that there are situations in life where we're capable of greater boldness than we realize, and we should take that and apply it to the way that we pray. Now, in the next few verses, verses 11 through 13, Jesus tells us why we can be bold in our praying. And the reason is we can be bold in our prayers because God is loving and good. It's the nature of God, the fact that he is loving and good, that should cause us to pray with boldness. In verses 11 through 13, Jesus tells us why we can understand that God is loving and good. Look at verse 11. After telling us everyone, after commanding us to ask and to seek and to knock, and these are not graduated types of asking, they're all <coughs> rephrasing the fact that we're supposed to ask with boldness and telling us that God wants to answer these prayers. Now in verse 11, Jesus gives us an analogy, an illustration, and says this, What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? In these verses, Jesus appeals to the nature of God and tells us that it is God's nature that should cause us to pray with boldness. And notice how he describes this. In verses 11 through 13, Jesus appeals to our human nature, the good part of our human nature, the part that still reflects the image of God that was created in us, the part that is parental about us, that as parents, we are willing to do things for our children, make sacrifices for them, and do good things for them that we might ordinarily not do for other people. But because we love our children, we treat them well. And so Jesus in verse, 10, or verse 11 says, What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent, a snake? You see, Jesus is saying, if your son asks you for something good, something nourishing, you're not going to give him something harmful that could kill him. And then he repeats it with a different analogy in verse 12. He says, or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. Again, the son is asking for something good, something nourishing, and instead, Jesus says, you're not going to give him something that'll harm him, something that'll kill him. He says, not one of you as a parent would ever do this. And then in verse 13, he applies this to the nature of God and says this, if you then, who are evil, Know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Jesus applies this analogy of parenthood and says, just as even though you are a sinner, and sometimes we sinners 
do some very unkind things to one another. But most of us are kind and loving and love giving good things to our children at the very least. And Jesus now makes an example from the lesser to the greater. He says, even though you are fallen and are sinners and do some very unkind things in your life, and yet you give good things to your children, what about God who is perfect? Jesus says in verse 13, in the middle of the verse, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Jesus is saying God in his greatness, in his goodness, in his perfection wants to give you the greatest gift you could ever have, the gift of spiritual life, the gift of spiritual power, the gift of godliness. And all of these things are mediated to us through the Holy Spirit. Now, the promise Jesus has here, or that he implies here, that the Father will give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him, looks forward to the day of Pentecost, when Jesus told his apostles, his disciples, to stay in Jerusalem and pray until the Holy Spirit comes, and then the Holy Spirit came on them with power, and the church age began. And so this is the, the, the basic fulfillment that Jesus has in mind. But the principle that Jesus is talking about here is that God in his goodness wants to give us things that will nourish us and strengthen us spiritually if we just have the boldness to ask for it. And he says, God is like a loving father just waiting for you to ask directly and boldly from him the things that you want that will nourish your spiritual life. And so this is the encouragement that Jesus gives to all of us in our praying. That we should not ask timidly. We should not make vague implications about the things that we want. We should be direct and specific in the way that we approach the Father. And the reason is because God is good and he loves to answer our prayer requests with things that are good for us, like any loving father would. And so in this uh, passage, Jesus um, talks about how we should pray and teaches us to pray boldly in the things that we say. And this message is one of a series that I did at my church on the Lord's Prayer. It concludes, as you may recall from our reading, what Jesus taught about prayer in the earlier parts of verse 11. And after teaching his disciples how to pray, he tells them that if you want to talk so that God will listen, you need to learn to talk boldly so that God will listen. And I want to give you some application points that will help you to apply this truth about talking boldly, asking God boldly for things in your prayer life. And so let's look at these, uh, these application points together. If we're going to talk boldly so that God will listen, how do we do that? What does that look like? And the first thing I would tell you is this. Boldly ask God, one, God to save someone by naming that person in your prayers. Boldly ask God to save someone by naming that person in your prayers. Every one of us, I am sure, knows someone who is outside of the Christian faith. Someone who doesn't know the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior. Someone who is on their way to an eternity accursed from God if they don't repent and trust Jesus. 
And part of our praying within the will of God and the way that God wants us to pray should be that we ask God to directly and by name to save that person. And why do I say that? Well, look back in the early part of our passage in the Lord's Prayer. When Jesus taught his disciples to pray, he said to them in verse 2, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. What does this mean? It means may God's name be regarded as holy. May people speak to him in words of worship. Now here's my thought. The more people that God saves, the more worshipers are created. And the more worshipers are created, the more God's name is set aside and sanctified and pronounced holy by people. And so when Jesus told us to pray, God, hallowed be your name, he's telling us to praise him and worship him in our prayers, yes. But he's also, one one other implication of that is, God, would you save my friend or my spouse or my whoever who doesn't know Christ and name that person so that they can be worshipers of yours, so that they can join us and say, hallowed be God's name. And so I invite you then, based on Jesus' teaching, to pray boldly by naming someone specifically that you'd like to see come to faith in Jesus Christ. Boldly ask God to save someone by naming that person in your prayer. Second, I'd encourage you to boldly ask God to raise up churches against the rampant unbelief in the world. When we joined five, when my church joined Five Stone Churches in 2011, it was because we believe that the hope of the world is Jesus Christ. And that Jesus sends people in the world to preach the gospel and form churches, that the best way to reach people for Christ is through the local church. And so we joined Five Stone Churches when it was in its infancy, when there was only one other church in it, so that we could be part of what God wants to do in this world. And I believe this is in application to what Jesus taught us to pray in verse 2. Look again at the Lord's Prayer in verse 2. It says, He said to them when you pray, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Now, the idea and the, the um, understanding God's kingdom is a big concept in Scripture, okay? And I don't have time to get into it at all, other than to say this. God's kingdom will come in its fullness when Jesus returns and sets up his kingdom on earth. The only people who are going to be in that kingdom are people who have trusted him in this life by faith. And so the more people who are reached for Christ, the closer we get to the return of Jesus. When Jesus returns, it will be after he has saved everyone that he has willed to save in this generation. And so one of the reasons why we are part of Five Stone Churches and one of the reasons why we pray for you and for your growth as a church is because we want God's kingdom to come. And God's kingdom will come when Jesus is done saving those he is going to save. And so I invite you to boldly ask God to start other churches through us, through your church, and through others so that his kingdom will come. Third, boldly ask God to give you what you need to live and serve him daily. Boldly ask God to give you what you need to live and serve him daily. Look at verse 3 of the Lord's Prayer where Jesus told us to pray, give us each day our daily bread. Is God concerned about whether or not you can make a living? About whether or not you can make ends meet? Is God concerned about the very everyday pedestrian problems that you and I have financially? Yes, he is. And he wants us to be good stewards of what he supplies us with, but he also wants us to look to him for provision. 
when there's too much month left at the end of our money, or when we have an unexpected need that even something we budgeted for, we don't have the ability to pay for. When Jesus taught us to pray, give us each day our daily bread, he was telling us, look to God when you need a job and you're unemployed. And look to God when you need a better job than the one you have because you can't make it, make it on what you're being paid now. This is an invitation for us to ask God boldly for what we need to live and to serve him daily because God cares about that. Next, fourth, I would encourage you to apply this passage by boldly asking God for reconciled relationships with him and with others. Boldly ask God for reconciled relationships with him and with others. Look at verse 4 of the Lord's Prayer in Luke 11. He says, And forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us, that is, someone who has sinned against us. Jesus not only wants us to pray for our daily needs, and he not only wants us to pray for the spread of the gospel around the world so that more people will hallow the name of God and his kingdom will come, but he wants us to pray so that our relationships with others will be healed, that we can get forgiveness if we need it and give forgiveness if someone has sinned against us. And probably there isn't one of us who hasn't felt the pain of broken relationships. Maybe some of you right now have you're already thinking specifically of a person that you would like to be reconciled to, but they're unwilling, or that has sinned against you, and you would like to see them repent, but they have not so far. The Bible says, come to God with that. Come boldly. Ask God to work so that that, recon- so that, that relationship can be healed. And this goes for our sins as well, because our sins clog our relationship with God. And so Jesus taught us to pray and ask God to forgive us our sins. And so one of the ways to apply this, this uh, teaching on the boldness in prayer is to pray for reconciled relationships. Finally, I would encourage us to boldly ask God for personal holiness in your life. Boldly ask God for personal holiness in your life. At the end of, verse, at the, end of the Lord's Prayer in verse 4, Jesus said, and lead us not into temptation. This is a prayer of protection from the temptations that the world and our sinful nature and the devil bring before us daily. And when we pray and ask God, lead us not into temptation, it's an ask and it's a prayer in God's sovereignty to say, God, protect me from areas where I am weak so that I can be a holy person in your sight. And some of you may be struggling with a sin in your life or a temptation in your life that calls to you and calls to you and calls to you. And it's a struggle that nobody else knows about, but you feel it deeply in your soul. Do you talk to God about that? Do you ask him to steer your steps away from those moments of temptation and to strengthen you by his power in Jesus Christ to say no to that temptation when you can't avoid it? That's a bold request for personal holiness in our lives. And this is something that is pleasing to God. So if we're going to pray the way that God wants us to pray, if we're going to talk so that God will listen, we need to learn to talk boldly so that God will listen. Would you bow with me in prayer? Lord, we thank you for the instructions that Jesus gave about prayer and the encouragement that he gave us to seek your face boldly 
for requests that are pleasing to you. Father, I thank you for this church. It is an answer to our prayers at Calvary Bible Church. And it is a blessing and a pleasure for us to see how you have raised up this congregation of people to worship you and say, hallowed be your name. And Lord, I pray your blessings upon this church that as they go out to canvas the areas and make new contacts, Lord, that you would, be, you would bless those efforts with fruitfulness, Lord, that you would use this contact to bring people bring people's attention to Vanguard Bible Church and that through that attention, Lord, you would save some by your grace and power. Lord, I pray that as your people, you would help us to take what Jesus taught us here seriously and to be more direct, more specific, and much bolder when we speak to you. And I ask for this based on your promise in Jesus, that the one who asks receives, the one who seeks finds. The one who knocks has the door open to him. Lord, open the door of your blessing to us as we come to you boldly in prayer. In Jesus' name I ask. Amen. Again, we hope you've enjoyed listening to the Vanguard Bible Church podcast by Pastor Kerry Knack. For more information about Vanguard Bible Church, please visit our website at www.vanguardbible.org. Have a great week and we hope to see you at Vanguard Bible Church.